Hello everybody, my name is Ben Schluter and welcome to yet another episode of Goal to Go. My voice is back. That's good, because yesterday it just went <laughs> right before I recorded, so that's why I didn't get an episode out yesterday. So yeah, that's a thing that happened to me, but now it's not happened to me, and now it's time to record this episode. So yes, um, before we get into the actual football aspects of the everything, I figured I might as well talk about the whole, well, the Saints don't have a head coach thingy. Yeah, so Sean Payton said that he is stepping away for who knows how long, because only he would know, um, you know, and all the power to him, just the fact that he's been with the Saints for 15 years is one thing, and people are going to make the jokes about it, like, oh yeah, it's because we're $70 million over the cap and all that. No, did you see what we just went through? Do you know what we just went through? Do you know what he's been going through? Like, he mentioned it in his press conference. Like, he's had to tell people multiple times to up and leave with their families or leave their families because of a hurricane. And this year it finally happened. We had to go on the road for about a month. And he said it felt like two and a half years ago. And that was only in August and September, which... Okay, fine, that does feel like a while ago to me, too. But he was saying he was mulling it throughout this training camp. Like, maybe he needs to step away for a little bit. And it, it, it's 15 years of being a head coach. It's 15 seasons, 16 years, including the time off. And, like, yeah, I mean, he's earned it. Like, most coach, no coach in Saints history has ever been able to say they've walked away on good terms. The only coach that the Saints have ever had to resign was Jim Mora. He resigned mid-season because the team was terrible. Um, other than that, they've been fired, and that's how it is for 90% of coaches. You get fired, and that's how it ends. You don't get to walk away on your own terms. And for Sean Payton, like, what he did to this team, it's hard to it's hard to fathom. But to put it in a way someone put it online, I think Breeze and Peyton gave Saints fans a warped idea of what an offense looks like that we may never be able to recover from. Because the way we've had it, the way we had it for about 15 years... I'm not going to say maybe the last two seasons, but especially and especially not this past season. But it was just like offense was normal. It was just like, yeah, you threw for 4,000 yards and that was a thing. Breeze throwing for 5,000 yards wasn't really that novel a concept. It was just a thing he did multiple times. Yeah, QBs don't throw for 5,000 yards. QBs don't throw 40 touchdowns a season. They especially don't do it with that cast of characters. Like, what Sean Payton... Uh, Drew Brees, Pete Carmichael, all of them crafted in New Orleans is something that honestly is going to shape the rest of the NFL forever. Like, it was a passing offense that could still run the football. That's what it started as. 06 and 07. Like, we ran the football because we had Deuce McAllister. Uh, and then we started to throw the ball. We had the most lethal play action game in the NFL. You did not know whether we were going to run it or throw it. And we didn't run the ball that well. 
but we ran the ball enough where you had to be worried about it because we had a good offensive line. Sean Payton, known for finding talent in the rough. He mentioned it in his press conference, his first draft, finding future Hall of Famer Jari Evans in like the fourth round out of uh, Division II Bloomsburg. And by the way, when I say future Hall of Famer, I mean it. Get Jari Evans in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Like, holy cow, he was one of the best players. at like He was one of the best guards in the league for like, I'd say seven years. Constantly making Pro Bowls and all pro teams. Of course, you find Zach Streif. He was pretty good. You know, he retires, becomes a broadcaster, because why not? And now he's an assistant coach. You find Marcus Colston, the seventh-round compensatory selection. Guy who is nearly undrafted. He ends up, you know, being the last player active in the NFL from his university. He sets the Saints records in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, uh, think touchdowns in general. And to have a guy like that is kind of insane. Of course, Sean Payton's the guy who found Drew Brees and took a shot on him because what else were we going to do? We weren't attractive to any other quarterback, to anybody. Who the hell wants to come to New Orleans in 2006? Who the hell wants to come to a city that's just been ravaged by a hurricane where you didn't get to play home games last year and there's not even a guarantee you're going to be playing in your home stadium that year? Because people... People often forget or don't know, but there was a. The original thought was the Saints were not going to be able to play in the Dome until 2007. That's how long it was going to take to repair it. When when we say the roof was ripped off, we mean the roof was ripped off, and the damage that was done was unbelievable. And it's shocking what they did. The NFL had to force the state of Louisiana and Tom Benson to basically do this. Tom Benson was willing to let that, wanted to move the team to San Antonio. He wanted to move the team to San Antonio. Did not care about the city of New Orleans, wanted to leave it behind. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, they come here. They turn a perennial loser, one of the worst franchises in NFL history, a team that had won one playoff game in its history. It took until 2000 for us to get there. We beat a Rams team that was hobbled. We were lucky that the Rams didn't come back because Azazir Hakim, who later actually played for the Saints, uh, dropped a punt and we fell on it. Without that, we may not even have a playoff win until 2006. And by the way, I could go on a little ramble about how Jim Hazlitt's actually one of the most important coaches in Saints history because before him, we were the most backwards organization in the NFL. We weren't using computers and there's a clip from the yearbook from the 2000 Saints where Jim Hazlitt's asking, hey, what direction is the field facing? And he doesn't know the answer because nobody knows because they didn't know about that and he had to use the sun. The sun. Uh, An NFL team in the year 2000 did not know which direction its practice field was oriented. Yeah. Um... But yeah, what, what did Sean Payton do? He took a team that had a lifetime losing record. And under Sean Payton, we never had 10 losses. We never did. That never happened. Even with the defenses we were putting out there. You watched 2012? Sean Payton set the foundation for that. Though he didn't coach it, 
he set the foundation for it. You look at the 2015 Saints. Uh, the 2015 Saints had a worse defense, in my opinion. They didn't give up as many yards, but they definitely played worse. It was an absolute train wreck to watch, and they ranked in the bottom five in more categories than the 2012 Saints. Because um, even the 2012 Saints pitched a shutout because Greg Schiano's Bucks. That's all I got to say about that. Um, but yeah, still managed to go seven and nine. Because we were in cap hell during those three years. Because we'd front loaded, we'd back loaded all these contracts, uh, and then we got bought by the NFL during a year in which it was technically uncapped. Uh, that was 09, by the way. Uh, which, by the way, you can talk about Bounty Gate all you want. The NFL PA said there was no Bounty Gate. Uh, Paul Tagliabue overturned all the player suspensions because they couldn't find any evidence of Bounty Gate. And we actually did something else that was closer to cheating, which was basically playing as if there was no salary cap, which is the reason we actually had all the contracts that we could have had. And we front-loaded, we front-loaded a bunch of contracts for 2009. Um which was technically an uncapped year, and thus we had a bunch of veterans on the team for a few years. Uh, Then we got cut out of revenue sharing for a little bit because we cheated. Yeah, that's what we did to cheat, not Bounty Gate. Bounty Gate wasn't cheating. You want to talk about cheating? There you go. All right, just giving you guys ammo. But still, Sean Payton gets to go out on top. Think about this. Sean Payton's final game as Saints head coach is a win over the Falcons. The only way that could have been better is if he'd have won the Super Bowl. Like, he doesn't go out on a loss. He doesn't go out looking like an idiot. He goes out beating the Falcons with Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. What the hell else do you want from him? The dude's made a case to be a Hall of Famer. I think he should be in. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for you not to put him in. Because... What he did was so influential to the game of football. Uh, What those offenses were, the pass-oriented offense, the number of formations he would use, and the way he got guys who were absolutely nobodies to play well and become stars. Again, I I go back to an article I saw, um, and I read this very recently, but it was from 2009, making the case for why Peyton Manning should have been the... The MVP over Drew Brees in 2009. And one of the things that it said in there was, Drew Brees has a ton of weapons. And I'm like, you, you wanna, do you want to go with me? I'm not saying these guys weren't great, but like, Peyton Manning had Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark. What do you mean that Peyton Manning didn't have weapons? The Saints had Marcus Colston, who obviously... He should have been a Pro Bowler in 2007. That's probably the only year he should have made the Pro Bowl. Still should have made it. Um, we had Devery Henderson. Devery Henderson was lol go deep. That was basically his whole thing. He did a damn good job of it. We had Lance Moore. Uh, our tight end was Jeremy Shockey. Yes, he was proven, but he wasn't exactly the best. Uh, who the heck else was on that 2009 Saints team as a receiver? But, like, our top three receivers... They weren't pro bowlers. They weren't, like, superstars. They weren't first-round draft picks. None of them were first-round draft picks at the wide receiver position. A lot of them were undrafted. The hell do you mean Breeze had more weapons? You know what they did, though? They took a bunch of nobodies and turned them into stars and turned them into winners. 
The 2011 Saints probably have the best offense of any team in NFL history. You can make an argument that maybe the 2013 Broncos had better. I will argue with you that the 2011 Saints somehow managed to look like absolute garbage against the Rams and still managed to do what they did. The 2011 Saints set an NFL record for most first downs by a team in a season and had nine against the Rams. Nine. That's terrible. Breeze shattered the all-time passing record. Peyton Manning broke Breeze's passing record by one yard. Breeze broke Marino's record by like 300. It was 300 and, if I get the number right, it was 5,084. It's 382. Yeah. He absolutely destroyed that record. 2011 Saints, if they don't turn the ball over like five times in the first half, they make the Super Bowl that year. Yada, yada. Of course, you also have 2018 where we were cheated of a Super Bowl because the refs are stupid. But yeah, I, I... Sean Payton's legacy shouldn't be tattered. But if you want to tatter it with Bounty Gate, that's one thing. I can see that. We, I'm just going to say, there was no proof of that. The proof is very minimal, and the NFLPA came out with that statement saying there was no proof of it, and the players never got suspended for it. Now, whether or not there was a bounty program in general, we still don't officially have word of that. Again, there is word from Brett Favre that there was a bounty program within the Vikings. You know, right around the same time. But still, that's not important. What is important is what Sean did. His legacy is going to be felt forever. I mean, 15 seasons where we constantly felt like we were a decent team. Where you felt like any given Sunday, that team could go out and win. Only a handful of times was it like we were overmatched and we had no shot. One of those times was this year. When we were playing the Dolphins and we were screwed. Because of COVID stuff. And it happens. Hey. But we would go out there and we would leave teams in the dust. You look at some of the things that Sean Payton orchestrated. Sean Payton orchestrated in 2009 one of the greatest demolitions of the Patriots under uh, Bill Belichick in a 38-17 game that wasn't nearly as close as you think as it looked. Like, that, was, that game was not as close as the final score indicates. No, we absolutely destroyed them, and we made their defense look like it was nothing. Pounded it into mush. The Saints set an NFL record for largest blowout of a defending Super Bowl champion when they beat the Eagles in 2018. And not only beat them, but pounded them into mush. The Saints in 2011 took the eventual Super Bowl champion Giants and uh, absolutely wasted them. In 2011, the Saints gave the Colts, who, while they were terrible, a 62-7 beatdown on Sunday Night Football, which is, I believe, the largest blowout in primetime history. That's insane. What are some other things he did? Oh, I don't know. Um... Managed to get a team to go 9-8 and eight despite starting 58 different players and 4 different quarterbacks. Uh, what else did he do? Um, oh, I don't know. Make football in New Orleans fun. 
He made people go to the games. He made it fun to be a football fan in New Orleans. I don't know what it's like not to have that. Because I didn't grow up with it. And I think that's the main thing that makes this difficult for people to understand. The Saints were near unwatchable at points. If you look at our history, you learn how absolutely incompetent we were. Not just in 20, 2005, excuse me, where we went 3-13. and Hey, we were all on the road that season. That season, when it, that was a whole mess. I'm talking about the Mike Ditka era. Trading an entire draft just for one guy. Terrible offenses, where the defense was the only thing keeping us in games. Yeah, I know that sounds familiar now, doesn't it? Um, not being able to win playoff games. Heartbreaking finishes to seasons. Yeah, we had a bunch of those, but hell, it was a lot of fun. We put up 500 yards in 30 games. That's ridiculous. No other team did that. No other team has done that since Sean Payton got here. Offensive football will never be the same because of it. NFL football will never be the same because of it. Sean Payton did something that you can't really put into words, but I think if if the one last thing I'm going to say on this is you cannot tell the story of the New Orleans Saints without Sean Payton. I think the only other coach that you could say that for where they were nothing before one coach is Chuck Noll. Because even when Belichick came in, the Patriots had made two Super Bowls. They had known winning. They just had never won a Super Bowl. For the Saints, they'd barely known winning. Winning was a fleeting concept. The playoffs were a celebration. They became an expectation. We became one of the most feared teams in the league. The lowly New Orleans Saints. We went from the lovable losers to the team that so many people hate now. And it all started with Sean Payton. Just getting that one little thing. And by the way, thank you Green Bay for hiring our former offensive coordinator. Without that, you'd have picked Sean, we never would have been here. And so, after that whole thing, let's get into the divisional round. So the divisional round. Every single one of those divisional round playoff games got better and better and better. It was a crescendoing. I have never seen a weekend of football like that. I've never seen a weekend of sports like that. How how was it that every game topped the next? And it started with two games that were just close, but kind of like... The first two games... They were close, they were dramatic, but they were ugly. So let's go and talk about them. And the way we're going to do this, we're just going to be talking about the games because I just want to talk about football. Titans, Bengals. What a start. Ryan Daniel goes play action and throws an interception. Oops. Uh, not a great start. Derrick Henry being back. Uh, granted, what happened? Of course, the Bengals drive stalled and they kick the field goal. This would become a major problem. Yeah, so to to just talk about this game in general. 
Joe Burrow got sacked nine times and still managed to lead his team to victory. Why? Because nine sacks is one thing, three picks is another. Now, I will say, no, actually I won't say, because I would say the third pick wasn't necessarily Tannehill's fault. Why are you throwing into that coverage? You know that they are very tight. Why are you throwing it there? You know that's a very dangerous pass. And you know where you are. Don't be stupid, but you were. First of all, Derrick Henry was not the hot hand. You should have been giving the ball to Deontay Foreman. I, I really... I. Just because Derrick Henry usually runs the ball well does not mean he is. He wasn't. He kept getting stuffed. Deontay Foreman was running like hell. So you walk... Give the ball to the hot hand. Don't be the Cowboys who always give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott despite Tony Pollard being better. When the game gets to the wire, you give the ball to the hot hand. Deontay Foreman was a better running back in that game. He was running through guys. He was a harder runner. I'm not saying Derrick Henry was bad. It's just, hey, maybe for his first game back from injury, you might want to be a little careful. Just a little bit. When you already have a running back that runs like hell and can tire out defenses? Okay, then. What was with the overuse of play action? Bro. Look, it, it ain't helping you. Uh, crazy thing is, despite all of that, Tannehill only got sacked once. And I'm shocked, because Tannehill was under a ton of pressure. Both offensive lines look bad, despite the Tennessee Titans having a healthy offensive line. Like, how did you both look like you were getting outmatched? You guys were actually trying out here. What are you doing? Yeah. And especially the... Okay, Bengals, really, though. Your O-line is an absolute tire fire. How is it this bad? I don't know. What the hell is going on? And by the way, anybody who wants to continue to push this narrative, they should have drafted Panay Sewell. They wouldn't have been here if they didn't draft Jamar Chase, and you and I both know that. They need an offensive line for the future, but right now they're doing pretty much fine. Because their defense was making plays when it counted... That defense was bend but don't break. The Bengals' offense was basically, what if we stall in the red zone every time? Which was basically what they were doing against the Raiders. Guys, if you want to do that, that's fine. You're not going to be able to get away with that against Kansas City. Um, Yeah, just not going to work. So then we get to the end of the game. And Tannehill throws an ungodly pick. There is no reason you're supposed to throw the ball there. This is not like your second pick where Bengals defender is just like, ooh, look at this. It is a football. Because he made a break on the ball, and I'm like, okay. Well, that was easy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this pick was stupid. Then uh, the Titans made the bold and smart choice of double-covering Jamar Chase. The unfortunate problem is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. He's going to catch the football. He is... And I've said this multiple times. Jamar Chase is really good at football. I, th I think a lot of people could tell you, Jamar Chase is really good at football. You can do whatever you want to him. It won't matter. Jamar Chase is going to catch that football. 
except for the fact that, you know, he also has a ton of drops, but that doesn't matter, okay? A lot of those were midseason. Um, when he needs to be clutch, he is clutch. And he was. Got him right into field goal range. They had 20 seconds. It, it was that easy. And game ends, game-winning field goal, and the Bengals, for the first time, have won a road playoff game. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that game was awesome. Then there was the Packers 49ers game. This game was less awesome, but it had a more thrilling finish. Uh, just because of like, holy cow, what happened here? So, first of all, anyone who wants to blame the weather for this game needs to shut up. I'm sorry, the weather is the reason neither one of these offenses was doing anything? The weather? Mm, I didn't see them slip sliding around. No, it's just that they shut down and forgot how to play. Maybe the weather is the reason for that. Because they got so cold, they forgot how to offense. Start of the game. The Packers are looking great. They drive down the field. They get a touchdown. Woo, this is very bad if you're a 49ers fan. They just march down the field on your defense. Your defense doesn't look like anything. Aaron Rodgers looks like he's kind of locked in. So then the 49ers can't do anything. And then come the Packers. And it's like, ooh, this could go well. And then a throw to Mercedes Lewis, which is then, boink, the ball pops free, 49ers get it. I don't know why, but apparently this just shut down the entire Packers offense. Like, that one play was just like, nope, we're not going to play offense the rest of this half. Nope, we're not going to do it. Nope, we refuse to do it. You made us fumble once, we can't do that anymore. And, of course, the 49ers were happy to oblige because what is an offense? Then... The Packers, ooh, we have the ball, we're going to drive down the field, and we're going to kick a field goal to end the half, except they forget to block. And Packers special teams, uh, problem number one, uh, you allow your kick to get blocked, and you don't get three points. Oops. Hey, by the way, didn't I say coming into the playoffs that the, the Packers have a special teams liability and that they couldn't win the Super Bowl because of it? Huh, wonder if that's going to make any sort of you know, appearance again. So then, the 49ers, they get the ball to start the second half, and they drive down the field, and they kick a field goal. Cool. It's 7-3. to three. You don't have any, you don't have anything going for you. So then, yada yada this, and yada yada that. Eventually, the Packers get into field goal range, and they make a field goal. Congrats, you didn't get it blocked. Hopefully, there won't be any other special teams goofs. Oh, no. So then they have to punt. They have to punt deep in their own territory. And for some reason, nobody's blocking it. And by nobody, I mean specifically the long snapper. Now, apparently somebody, I don't remember who, uh, there's a quote I saw on Twitter of like, uh, college long snappers aren't taught to block anymore. That might not be important. Oh, wait, turns out it is. Do you know, and I can, by the way, I may not be an expert, but I have a theory as to why. Uh, in college, there's a lot of a lot of punters are either running away from the long snapper, uh, Australian style, or they're using the shield, which gives you more guys in the backfield to block for the punter. Um, yeah, if you're a college long snapper, you need to learn how to block. That's your job. Your position exists specifically because you need to be able to snap and then block. If you need to learn how, come to LSU. They call it Long Snapper University. Because we got two guys in the NFL right now that are long snappers. We got Reed and Blake Ferguson. 
They both played four years at LSU. They killed it. Hell, they, it was, yeah. One, I know either Reed or Blake, I keep forgetting which one, the one on the Dolphins. Uh, he was drafted, and he was on the 2019 National Championship team. Like, they're very good at blocking. That's important. Because if you don't, what ends up happening is your punt gets blocked, it flies up into the air, none of your coverage team is looking for it, mainly because I don't know where the hell the ball was. I couldn't see it. The camera work was kind of weird because the ball was in, like, the air and then everything. Blocked punts are crazy because no one knows what to do. But they're especially crazy when they go forwards. Because what the hell is everyone going to do? If it goes backwards, I think everybody knows to turn around. But when the ball goes kind of forwards, it's like, uh, where did it go? Well, then it lands down and then the uh, 49ers take it and run it in for a touchdown. Oops. This is a tie game moment. This is terrible. Okay, by the way, I believe on the opening kickoff of the second half, uh, the Packers allowed a pretty, yeah, it was a pretty long return, which allowed the 49ers to have a short field to get into field goal range. I mention this because um, for the end of the game, the Packers punted the ball away, and their punt coverage team forgot how to punt coverage. And they allowed a long return that set the 49ers up with a short field. This eventually led to a third and seven on which they ran the football, got the first down, and bled the clock and then just kicked the game-winning field goal. Because Robbie Gould does things. Or Robbie Gold, excuse me. The golden boy himself, who was practicing field goals over the Packers during warm-ups. Um, which was a smart move because... Usually when you practice, you're not practicing kicking over people, which is kind of, that's real game. He did it. Did you know that Robbie Gold's never missed a kick in the playoffs? Did you know that he's got more kicks in the playoffs without a miss than any other kicker in NFL history? If you didn't, you know now. So, yeah. Um, now let's move on to the Sunday games, or as I like to call them, what the hell happened? No, what the hell happened? Starting with the Rams and the Buccaneers. So the Rams decided, what if we fumble the ball four times? Great. Okay, so this game was the dumbest thing I saw. So the Rams start out with an absolutely enormous lead. They're completely destroying the Bucs. Tom Brady got flagged 15 yards because, you know, well... He was giving lip to the uh, officials, one might say. Now, that's, that, that's a good one. Um, yeah. So, the Bucks were imploding, basically. And then Cam A... So then the Rams have the ball. They're up 27-3. And they're about to drive... They're trying to score a touchdown right before the end of the half. And Cam Akers fumbles at the one-yard line. So the Bucks get the ball and... Yeah, end the half. That ain't good. Because now the Bucks have a slight bit of momentum. Things only got worse from here. The Bucks could not score on a long field. They only could score on short fields. A.K.A. was the 2020 divisional round game against the Saints. Um, luckily for the Bucks, the Rams were very much happy to oblige and give them short fields. Cooper Cup trying to turn up field, and he fumbles. Oops. Um, yeah, that didn't go so well. Bucks are getting ahead. They're doing their thing. Then, 
The Rams get an absolutely enormous stop. They force a takeaway. They force Von Miller gets a strip sack on Brady. Man, where have you heard that before? Um, and uh, yeah, so the Rams have the ball. And on the very next play, center just snaps the ball like 20 yards behind Matthew Stafford and box recover. And I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? Excuse me, just need to clean my glasses a bit. What? It, pardon me. Yes. Um, what? What? What happened in that two-play sequence may never make sense to me. Apparently, the center thought, yeah, I think it's about that time where I should snap the ball. It wasn't. It would have been better off if it had hit uh, Matthew Stafford in the face. That has saved about 20 yards. And uh, yeah, the Bucks got all the momentum back. So then, there's only a little bit of time remaining in the game. And the, the, the Rams, they have the lead. They have the lead... They have the lead by, uh, they have the lead, believe it's by, it was either eight or seven, I completely forgot, but like, oh, they can run the clock down if they just run the ball a little bit, throw short passes, so then they give the ball to Cam Akers and he fumbles. Oops, okay, not exactly the greatest of things, so then the Bucks score, and just like that, the Rams have blown a 27-3 lead. And Falcons fans are like, yes, maybe people won't remember us, despite the fact that 28 is, in fact, a larger number than 27, and the Super Bowl is, in fact, a bigger game. I'm just saying. Also, the Rams are not the Falcons, and maybe the Bucks were a little too aggressive. On the, fir- uh, on the second to last play of the game, uh, before the field goal, and the set up for the field goal, yada, 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 you get what I mean. Um, Matt Stafford fumbled. He recovered the ball, but he fumbled. And Todd Bowles got a little too aggressive. Because he was like, oh, oh, they're going to do that? We're going to go for the kill shot then. We're going to go kill shot right now, send an all-out blitz. Here's the issue with that. The Rams have Cooper Cup, and he was in single coverage with anyone that wasn't a top 15 corner uh, corner in the league. That was a mismatch and a half. Cooper Cup wins that battle, gets them right into field goal range. The Rams drain the clock, get the final uh, kickoff, and yeah, the Bucks' hearts are just torn to shreds, and it was so beautiful to watch every moment of that. I was losing my mind, and then the Rams... They took the Bucks' heart, pulled it out right from under there, right from within their ribcage, looked at it, and just said, No, you're not allowed to house nice things. And then, game over. And then the Bucks, today, on their Twitter page, um, put up this analytics thing that was like, the Bucks had like a 1% chance to win the game. Uh, less than a 1% chance to win the game before they eventually went on this comeback to tie it up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what happened after that? What happened? What happened after you tied the game up? Oh, that's right. You lost. You lost the game. So it's not much of a comeback. It's more of a clawback. Also, if Brady gets any credit for that, shut up. 
Brady is not the guy who forced four fumbles, or three fumbles, and recovered four of them. Fine. Uh, no. Tom Brady was not playing that well in that game. Yes, he showed up in the second half. Much better. Much, much better play, but like, yeah. Also, this game had one of the weirdest penalty enforcement uh, things ever, uh, where basically there was a blow to the head of Scotty Miller, but because the ball had touched the ground, it was technically an after-the-play situation. Had the ball been tipped upwards, uh, Bucks would have had a first down. But they didn't! Oh no! Bucks, did you have an unfortunate situation with a penalty call against the Rams? How terrible! Oh, I feel so bad for you! What's that? I don't care for you at all? You can suck it? Oh, that's right. That's right. Remember all that smack y'all were talking about winning the NFC South or all that? So let's start here. Um, So you say that division titles don't mean anything if you don't win the Super Bowl. That's right. Okay. So now look where you are. You're on the couch. We've saved a seat for you. It's a very nice one. Very warm. You know, wanted to make sure of that. That way you can watch the NFC Championship with us. We were doing it last year. Okay? And we'll be doing the same thing for the Super Bowl. It's gonna be a fun time. You blew it. You blew it at the end. You got too aggressive and you blew it. Rams, what were you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Please do this again next week. And by next week, I mean on Sunday. Please do this on Sunday. I need you to do this on Sunday. It would warm my heart so much. Mainly because I hate you. I hate you a lot. You've done so many things to me. Honestly, the only two teams in these... There were three teams in this playoff um, that I really didn't care about if they won or lost. All three of them just so happened to be the wildcard teams. The 49ers, hey, they're kind of a fun team. I don't really have any ill will towards them. I don't really care what they did in 2019. They outplayed us. I don't care about 2011. They outplayed us. Hey, if we get outplayed in a game, I'm not going to get annoyed. The Vikings have the Minneapolis Miracle, and I will hate you forever. Um, Kyle Rudolph also pushed off, but that's not important. Um, yeah, the Cowboys are the Cowboys. The Packers are, I just don't like you. I just don't want you to have nice things. I don't. You don't deserve them. You just don't. That's all I have to say. Alright? You just don't deserve them. Also, we beat you so hard that, frankly, I didn't think you earned the Super Bowl. That's just a personal thing. Um, also, I kind of thought it would be funny if, you know, Debo Samuel kept running all over people. And I was right. It's very funny. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot. Let's talk about that final game. The Chiefs-Bills game may honestly be the greatest football game I've ever seen in my life. That game may have genuinely been the greatest football game I've seen in my life. I am dead serious, that game was stupidly good. That game was honestly one of the most insane things in NFL history where you've got two of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL battling it out against two defenses 
that really aren't doing that much. The last two minutes of that game had 25 combined points. There's only been one game in NFL history that's had more. It was a Ravens-Vikings game in like 2013, and the NFL's uploaded the final uh, bit of that. That game was stupid. That game was absolutely stupid in every way possible. Um, Yeah, Josh Allen looked insane. Patrick Mahomes would not go down. You could not sack him. He was a complete and utter nightmare out there. I honestly don't know how he kept evading tackles. Um, Yeah, Patrick Mahomes is God. Josh Allen is really good. Both of these teams were awesome. Gabriel Davis decided to have four touchdowns out of nowhere. Okay. Like, let's have fun. And then, I guess I should talk about the final 13 seconds. First of all, the Chiefs managed to drive into field goal range in less time than it took Dak Prescott to, uh, you know, take a QB slide and give the ball back to the referees. I don't care. They had three timeouts. That's still a thing. Ha 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 Um, but yeah. We, by the way, who the heck in the NFL gets down to three timeouts and 13 seconds left? Like, that's insane. That's in, that's incredible. Um, so to anyone who thinks they should have squibbed it, I disagree with you. You kick it deep. Why would you ever squib that? Number one, they have a return unit that's pretty decent. Byron Pringle can do things. Uh, number two, what is that going to do? Like, that's only going to give them better field position and maybe waste a play. And if they would have gotten a field position uh, to do it and all, we'd all be saying the exact opposite. Like, why didn't they kick it deep? So here's a better question. Why the hell was Tyreek... Uh, yeah. Why the heck was... I think it was Tyreek Hill. Why was Travis Kelsey so wide open? Why was Travis Kelsey able to do what he did? How did you let that happen? That's stupid. And then we get to overtime... And Bills lose the coin flip, and I knew that was the end of the game. Here are my opinions on playoff overtime. Number one, the only reason they changed is because the Saints won the game. uh, They won the 2009 NFC Championship game on a field goal, and the, the Vikings never had a chance to get it back, despite the fact that the Vikings, you know, had that whole we threw an interception thingy. So, like, us having the ball was basically a continuation of that drive. If Tracy Porter actually sixes that, maybe we don't see that change. Um, but yeah, so in the playoffs, there have been now 11 overtime games. I'm going to pretend one of those games never happened because that game never should have happened to go into overtime because if the refs call pass interference, like any normal human being, that game is not in overtime. We kick the game-winning field goal, we're off to Atlanta, and we beat the damn uh, Patriots because the Patriots couldn't do anything that night. You're only putting up 13 points. Like, really? Anyway, I'm not salty about that at all. But yeah, that's the only time under the new overtime format in the playoffs in which the team that got the ball first didn't win. Seven of the teams that have gotten the ball first scored a touchdown on their first drive. Seven. Out of the 11. And actually, no, out of the 10 that won. It's seven out of the 10 that won. That's not a problem to you? To those who say, oh, defense is another half of the game, why does one team have to play offense? Why does one team have to play defense and not the other? If defense is so much a part of the game, how come only one team is forced to play it? Oh, you gotta get a stop. Why doesn't the other team have to get a stop? 
Let me ask you that. Why does an arbitrary coin flip determine who has to make a stop? Why should that determine who has to make a stop? Now, here's the thing. And I've made this point before. Football does not have a possible, does not have an overtime format in any way, shape, or form that actually will solve any problems. Because football does not make any sense. It is the only sport that I know of where you cannot have an overtime format that actually solves the problems. Because you can't even do a full extra quarter. Because not, and that has nothing to do with fatigue. No. It has everything to do with the structure of the game of football where someone can theoretically run down all 15 minutes on one drive. You can run down all 15 minutes and kick a field goal with zero time left and give your opponent no chance. Because the way it's the way it's worded, in theory, if one team drives the length of the field, takes off about 14 minutes, kicks a field goal, the other team gets the ball, and they run out of time, overtime is over. You don't play a second period. That's how the rules are written. The other way the rules are written is that if you go for an onside kick and you recover it, you are in sudden death because the other team had the opportunity to possess. Yeah, I know that makes about as much sense as you think it does. Um, yeah. So. that That's kind of my thing. Yeah, it's... That's my whole thing on it. Both teams should get a chance to possess the ball. None of that stupid crap... This was a game that deserved to have both teams get a chance to score. Because, as a result, we got an unfortunate ending. Where we're left unsatisfied. And a reminder, the Chiefs sent a proposal to the NFL to change this two years ago. And the Bills were one of the teams that voted against it. Oh no, three years ago. The the Bills voted against it. Oops. How do you feel now? Bad? All right. But this brings us to the conference championship games. I'm just going to talk about these games. I'm going to give you my predictions. We're not going to go through that ESPN stuff because I think it takes up too much time and it takes away too much focus. Let's begin with the NFC. No, I'm sorry, with the AFC championship because that's first. That is at... That's at 2? That's at 2 o'clock. Huh. Well, that's going to be interesting. Guess I'll be watching the first half of that game from the PMAC. All right. Um, cool. So, Chiefs versus Bengals. What an interesting little storyline we have here. Two years removed from going 2-14, and 14, Burrow, Joe Burrow, has led the Cincinnati Bengals, on the brink of a Super Bowl. The Bengals have never lost a conference championship game. They're 2-0 in their appearances, but they also hadn't won a road playoff game until this year, and Arrowhead Stadium is one of the hardest places to play in the NFL. The first time these two teams met this year was in the jungle, the nice, comfy confines of Cincinnati. For what was a very good game that went down to the wire. A game where Chiefs fans will call out will uh, call out questionable officiating, and I will say, uh, "Yeah, you just couldn't cover Jamar Chase. Suck it." Um, yeah. The Bengals. Their offensive line is an absolute and utter atrocity. Uh, just terrible. 
can't do anything. But Joe Burrow exists, and he will make plays and he will do what he wants. He will call the plays under center if he has to, and he will do it well. The man is that offense, and it lives and dies through him. When he takes a hit, he grows stronger. We've seen it. But, you want to talk about going up against a tough defense? The Chiefs have it. Steve Spagnolu. he's really got this defense going again after what looked to be a pretty bad start to the season. Nah, his defense is doing enough. It is bend but don't break in crucial moments. And that's been very helpful. But the two playoff games in which they've played... They really haven't had to worry. Of course, the Steelers were a pushover, and the defense didn't even have to play for the Chiefs to win in overtime. So that's going to be key. As for the Chiefs on offense, well, I think you already know about them. Of course, you've heard of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Clyde Edwards, a layer out of the backfield. This team is a nightmare to play against if you are a defense. Tyreek Hill is basically uncoverable. I don't know how anyone can do it. And the worst part is, Eli Apple is going to have to cover him. Eli Apple has said enough stuff on Twitter where it's only going to end in him dying. Dude is going to be toast out there. I don't know if you're going to be able to pick up the pieces of whatever is left of Eli Apple as his legs might be... Look, I'm just saying that Tyreek Hill might actually break his this man's legs. Like, it's not going to be fair. It's not fair. The Bengals have a pretty good pass rush. They also have a damn good run defense. It's been showing up. It showed up against the Titans. And they did their job to stop the Raiders. And when it came down to it, they did a good enough job to beat the Chiefs earlier this season. But again, Mahomes is a completely different beast in the playoffs. Now, at home this season, he actually wasn't that great. But in the playoffs, he's insane. He's also never played a road playoff game. Um, This is going to be such a good game, and I am so excited for it. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a game between two teams that really turned it on at the end of the season. And I would love to see the Bengals win it, but I don't really see how they're, they're going to be able to overcome just the offensive firepower of the Chiefs Although the Chiefs not having Tyron Matthew might be huge. Yeah. So my final prediction is that the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. And then the NFC Championship. Rams, 49ers. For the first time in the history of the NFL, a conference championship game is going to be hosted at the site of the Super Bowl. Boy, oh boy, is it Exciting. Let me tell you, Rams trying to sell tickets only to people in the Los Angeles area. They don't want a repeat of Week 18 when 49ers fans packed SoFi Stadium made it so that Matthew Stafford had to use silent counts. But we'll see how that goes. The Rams. They built this team to win and win now. And they are winning now. They've made the NFC Championship game with Matthew Stafford, with Vaughn Miller, and with 
Odell Beckham Jr., all guys they got from trades. Of course, they still have Aaron Donald. Of course, they have Cooper Cup. They've got all these guys that make their offense an absolute juggernaut if they can hold on to the football. And of course, their defense. Facing them, it's their kryptonite. The San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo is undefeated in the playoffs in games in which he doesn't throw a touchdown. I don't know how that works either. It's insane. But you know what? It's all that matters is if you win. And that's what they've been doing. Of course, they're a bit injured. Trent Williams might not play. Uh, Jimmy G, he's still injured. Debo Samuel, he's injured. He's hobbled. And yet, has that really mattered this year? This is a team that can battle through injuries and do well. This is a team that knows how to throw things at you. This is a team that when the when they have to get into the trenches, they're going to come out victorious. I mean, again, they beat the Rams despite being down 17. Because the Rams decided to lay down and die. Who knows what happens again? I got the 49ers winning this. I think we get... Um, I think we get Chiefs versus 49ers. I I mean, for this one, it's very difficult. It's really tough to, do, uh, to pick a game where they're two division rivals, but especially when one swept the other. Because it's hard to beat a team twice, but it's damn near impossible to beat them three times. Granted, the Saints did that to the Panthers, but couldn't do it to the Bucs. Yeah. So, that's it for this one. Uh, That's my final prediction. Hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I gotta get this one finished up because we've been going pretty long. So, later tonight, gonna have an episode of Friday Night Heights, which is the post-LSU Gym Meet uh, podcast where I'm talking out of my face, um, you know, with absolutely no discernible idea, and I'm just like, whoa, that was cool, whoa, that was cool, whoa, 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 whoa. You get the point? Yeah. That's going to come out. When will it come out? Who knows? It's a spur-of-the-moment thingy. But it'll be there. Um, yeah. There will probably... There will definitely be another episode of um, the LSU Basketball Ball Cap on Sunday. Because LSU is playing TCU on Saturday. And, uh, yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode of Gold to Go. If you want to find me on Twitter, find me at capital B-E-N, capital S, capital L, capital A, capital S-P-O-R-T-S. I'm going to start putting my uh, Twitter and my Instagram in the description. So if you want to find me there, you can. It's simple. Yes. Um, but yeah. So until next time, I've been Ben Schluter. This has been Gold to Go. Until next time, bye-bye.